Back in the 80s, there was a commercial about a rat in a cage doing drugs. Sounds like the 80s, right? And it was an anti-drug commercial where a voiceover said that this rat in the cage that was kind of eating this drug pellet will take the drugs again and again and again until death. And you see the rat kind of pass out and die. It was a scary commercial about the power of drugs. Scary commercial about the power of addiction. How addiction to drugs would destroy you. Addiction leads to destruction. Addictions are actions and behaviors in relation to a certain object or activity that over time can take control of us and leads us down a path of destruction. Be that your job or a relationship that you have, uh, your health even, or perhaps even your life. Addiction leads to destruction. Addiction is much more than just taking drugs or even alcohol. Those are usually the most common addictions because the side effects of those are so easy to see in people's lives. What flies below the radar is a lot of other addictive behaviors that many of us might be struggling with as well. Counselors, doctors, psychologists have identified uh, other behaviors as addictive, such as gambling. Gambling is addictive. Sex is addictive. Pornography is addictive. Video games are addictive. Eating is addictive. Binge eating. Shopping is addictive. Internet surfing is addictive. The jury is still out on whether binge TV watching is addictive. In the 01, there was just a big sigh of relief. You see, addiction leads to destruction. But what's interesting about all these addictions is that they don't all seem bad inherently in and of themselves, right? For example, work as addiction. Somebody becomes a workaholic. Well, work is good, right? We have to work if we want to eat, if we want to make money to pay for things. But work becomes a bad thing when we do it too much, and it can destroy relationships, perhaps even our health. Shopping is important to do to get the supplies that you need to live. But if you spend too much or you spend all of your credit, it puts you in financial destruction, which could also destroy a relationship. Video games are fun for some people, I guess, but spending too much time doing those things could lead to destruction of relationships or your time. Sex is great for your marriage, but if we misuse it, it can lead to an addiction that has health risks and can destroy a current relationship or a future relationship. Addiction leads to destruction. What's so interesting about all these things that seem like they're good, but they turn into bad things is we have to ask ourselves, why would we misuse something good? Why would we turn it into something bad? Why does so much of these good things turn into a bad thing to lead to destruction? If we're honest with ourselves, many of us carry wounds from the past, things that have happened to us. There's pain, there's suffering in this life. At times we're lonely because of work or school or whatever. We're angry. We're stressed. And so what these addictions offer us is an opportunity to feel good about life. An opportunity to feel better, to not feel alone. To not be in pain, to numb us to the sorrows that we have. When we're stressed, it makes us feel better. That's why addictions are so dangerous. Addiction leads to destruction. In our sermon series on Unstuck, we've been talking about different uh, things that, help, uh, that cause us to get stuck. 
Self-destruction is one of those behaviors that happens when we become addicts and how addiction leads us to self-destruction. Micah said throughout the series that there is an ideal. Jesus is that ideal that we're striving to be through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But so often, sin and ourselves get in the way. These good things become misused till they become addictions and they lead us to destruction. Most likely within this room, someone is dealing with one of these. Someone here is dealing with addiction to gambling or drugs or alcohol, sex, pornography, video games, eating, work, whatever it may be. But before you start to judge someone else next to you, thinking, I'm glad they're here. They have the problem. They need to hear this. I want you to think about yourself. What good things are you turning to when you're stressed or you're angry or you feel alone or life is tough? Are you turning to an addiction to make you feel better? Before uh, you feel guilt and shame because you know you're stuck in addiction, I want you to know today that there is hope and there is forgiveness for anything that you've done. Or perhaps you're sitting here saying, well, sure, maybe I've done those things once or twice. No one's perfect, but I'm not an addict. I can stop when I want. Perhaps you're stuck and you don't even know it. I'm going to share with you today from Judges chapter 16 if you want to turn there. And it's a story about someone who fits the profile of an addict that I all think we know well. Judges chapter 16 is the story of Samson and Delilah. Before we read the word of God... Let us pray that we might hear from him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the word that you've given us. I pray that you would speak to us as we read your word. May we be edified and may you be glorified above all things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the book of Judges is not the ancient Near Eastern version of People's Court or uh, Judge Judy. Right? The judges were actually generals, uh, leaders who would lead Israel into battle. The period of judges is what happens after the time of Joshua. They're, the Israelites are in the promised land. And the judges were to lead the people when other countries had taken them over. And this is before the time of the kings. So God was their king, but these judges would come along and help the people. So the judge, Samson, was probably one of the greatest judges of all time. He was also probably the strongest man of all time. In Judges chapter 14, we see that Samson has taken a Nazarite vow, meaning that he was to be set apart in how he lived and what he did and his appearance, everything. And because of that vow, he was given a supernatural strength. So Judges 16.1, it says, One day Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute, and he went in to spend the night with her. Now, this isn't how you'd want anyone to begin a biography of your life, that you saw a prostitute and you went to sleep with them. But this is the story of Samson. Verse 2 there, the people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place. They lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn, we'll kill him. But Samson only lay there till the middle of the night. He got up. He took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, tore them loose, bar and all, lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. The distance between Gaza and Hebron, it's about 37 miles. So Samson has just busted open the gate and taken it with him. This bro works out, right? Samson is strong. So why is this 
story included here? What does this possibly have to do with the story of Samson and Delilah, which comes next? Well, see, in the context, we can't understand what comes next with Samson and Delilah until we understand these three verses and why they're a part of the story of Samson. I think the author of Judges wants us to know two very important things about Samson. First, Samson saw a prostitute and went to sleep with her, right? Samson has a problem with relationships, right? You do not accidentally sleep with a prostitute. There is a journey that takes you to making such an error as that. Samson has a relationship problem. Second, the author of Judges wants you to know that Samson is smarter than the bad guys and stronger as well, right? Sleeping in the enemy territory, the bad guys say we'll get him in the morning. Samson says, well, I'll leave in the middle of the night. He's smarter. And he doesn't just bust down the gates, he takes the gates with him, throwing them off down the road somewhere. He's incredibly strong. So that's the context that we find ourselves in. That's what we know about Samson. He has relationship problems, issues, but he's smarter and he's stronger, so he seems to be able to get away. So for the rest of the story, I'm going to go ahead and summarize a little bit for us what happens through the rest of Judges. You're free to follow along there. I'd encourage you sometime today, read the entire story of Samson. You get the full picture in Judges 14 through 16, Uh, but I'm going to summarize this move forward. So what happens next is that Samson falls in love with a woman named Delilah in the valley of Sorek. Now, that's all we know about Delilah, and that's all we really need to know, because in the story, Delilah's more or less a minor character. Samson is really the only major character in the story. What we also don't know about Delilah is if she loves Samson. We know Samson loves her, and we also know that Samson has relationship problems. Before this, he was with a prostitute. So, when the Philistines come to talk to Delilah and they say, well, would you help us and can you lure or seduce Samson in telling us the secret of his strength, how he can be tied up and subdued? She's willing to help. So there's a trap that's being laid here for Samson. And the thing that he loves, the problem that he has with relationships, is a part of this trap. But Samson's stronger and he's smarter, right? Perhaps he'll be okay. So in verse 6, Delilah says to him, Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength. How can you be tied up and subdued? What does a conversation like that look like? How can I tie you up and subdue you? You know, this is something that should not be in your Google search history, how to tie someone up and subdue them, right? Samson has to be thinking, why does she need this information? This cannot be good for me. Samson should run, he should flee. But remember, Samson has a problem with relationships. So what does he decide to do? He decides to lie to her. You shouldn't have to lie to someone that you love. Samson knows he's doing something wrong here. That's why I think he fits the profile of an addict. His desire is so strong. His relationship issues are bringing trouble to his life. So Samson lies to her, and he says in verse 7 that if he's tied with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, he'll be as weak as any other man. And so she ties him up with these bowstrings. What's interesting, if you haven't read the story for a while, like I hadn't myself, is Samson's not asleep at this point. He's not asleep when he gets tied up with these strings. Why would he allow her to tie him up with these strings? This cannot be good for him. But somehow he's seemingly willing to comply. He's willing to fall into the trap. Why? Because he has a weakness, a problem with relationships. But he thinks he's stronger. He thinks he's smarter. So he thinks he'll be fine. 
So when Delilah says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you, he snaps the strings easily as if they were threads, it says in verse 9. So it worked. He got away. He's all right. What happens next? Delilah says, you fooled me. You lied to me. How can you be tied? You know the old saying, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. We could see Samson should not fall into this trap again, but he has no one to blame but himself because he decides again to tell her another lie. His problem with relationships is causing him to get into trouble. He says, tie me up with ropes. First we had these strings, right? Now we have ropes. The materials are becoming stronger here. And so she ties him up again, and again, he's not asleep while this is happening. He's seemingly willing to comply with this. So what happens again is Delilah says the same thing. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. The bad guys are coming. So he snaps the ropes, it says in verse 12. What's interesting here is in verse 9, it says he snaps the threads easily. In verse 12, there's no mention of it being easy. It seems to be getting harder and harder to get away. The trap is getting worse. Destruction seems to be closing in. Samson should run. He should flee. But that's the problem with addiction. His desire for Delilah is so strong. His weakness is pulling him in more and more. I kind of feel bad for Samson at this point. Why doesn't he break himself away? Why does he think he has to be in this relationship to allow himself even to be tied up, to lie, to keep it going? Even before we think about he was sleeping with a prostitute. What is wrong in Samson's life that he thinks he has to find love in all the wrong places? Samson was already married before this. This is not his main relationship, but Samson has a problem. His addiction is going to lead him to destruction. What happens next is, is interesting because Samson decides this time around, he's going to get closer to telling the secret of his strength. If remember, he'd taken this Nazarite vow, so he's to be set apart in his appearance. And part of his hair was not to be cut at all, so he's getting close to giving away the secret when he tells her, well, if you tie my hair up in a, in a loom with a pin, I'll be as weak as any other man. So this time, Samson falls asleep. It's not good either. Now he's fallen asleep. He's not seeming so strong and so smart at this point. And so while he's sleeping, Delilah weaves his hair into this loom with a fabric and a pin. And so Samson's, Delilah says to him then, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he wakes up, he gets up, he's ready for battle. He's strong enough, he's smart enough, right? He's ready to go. But no, the loom is still hanging on to him. Has to be dragged down, ready to fight, but it's getting harder and harder to get away. We can see the destruction closing in on Samson. That's why I think Samson so easily fits the profile of an addict. We can all see this is a terrible decision, a terrible relationship. He should not be doing this. But what happens when we become addicts is we can't see it. We're causing ourselves to go deeper and deeper as destruction closes in on us. What happens next is, verse 16, is that Delilah prods him till he was sick to death. Sick to death. He's not married to this woman. He doesn't have to be in this relationship he is sick to death at this point, but he still wants more. His weakness, his problem with relationships is taking him deeper and deeper. And verse 17 says, he tells her everything. He tells her everything. That if his hair is cut, he'll be as weak as any other man. He's now given up everything for his addiction. 
Samson, the strongest man of all time, has become the weakest because of his addiction. And so when uh, Delilah has him fall asleep on his lap, very interesting, right? Why would you fall asleep on your lap? You have to be think- he has to be thinking, wait, she's not going to cut my hair, right? I've never fallen asleep this way before, but he can't help himself. And so she cuts his hair. And what I think happens next is the scariest part of the story for me. Look at verse 20. She says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and he said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had left him. All the way up till the end, when Samson has given away everything, he still thinks he'll be fine. He still thinks he can get up, get out of his addiction on his own terms, in his own way, that he's smart enough, that he's strong enough, that he can avoid destruction. But he could not. His addiction had led to his destruction. Because what happens next is the Philistines come and they gouge out his eyes. It's so interesting to me that the Bible says that his eyes were taken away, right? What most likely had caused his addiction was now being taken from him. Verse 1, he saw a prostitute and went in to sleep with her. His eyes were the source of his addiction. Delilah was most likely a beautiful woman that he desired and wanted so much. His eyes were taken from him. And then he's taken back to Gaza in shackles as a prisoner. Ironic, right? He had just left Gaza verses before as the champion, taking the gates and throwing them off down the road, the strongest person ever. He comes back in blinded and in shackles. His addiction has led to destruction. This is what's called hitting bottom in the addict world. It's where addiction leads us. It's destruction. And hitting bottom is different for everybody based on the addiction, based on what it caused, based on what they had given up to keep that addiction. But it's where every addiction leads. And hitting bottom is the place where sometime an addict is willing to admit that they have a problem. It doesn't mean that the addiction is over. It's just the destruction part of addiction. It's the place where they might get woke up that they're willing to do something about their addiction, but it doesn't mean that it's over. You see, addiction is much more complicated than just stopping bad behavior, than just telling yourself, well, don't do that again. If it was that easy, none of us would be addicts. The problem is, is that until we understand how God has created us, Until we understand that how sin has ruined everything, we cannot understand how to deal with our addictions. What I've been learning about addictions, and I think it follows true in my own life, is that uh, you have to understand that God has created us to enjoy the world that he created for us. God has created us to enjoy the world that he created for us. Our brains were created with a neurotransmitter that's called dopamine. And dopamine stimulates the reward pleasure parts of our brain. So when you accomplish something at work or at school, you know when you just feel good, that sense of accomplishment, that's part of that dopamine stimulating that brain. When you taste a great meal or a great drink, it's why it feels and tastes so good. It stimulates that part of our brain. It's why sex is so pleasurable. You see, God didn't create a world that's absent of beauty and touch and taste and smell and pleasure. So many amazing things that God created for this world, and he created our bodies to enjoy it physically. But the problem is, is that sin has broken everything. It's broken everything. 
So many of us, because of the brokenness and sin in our own lives, there's pain, there's sorrow, there's suffering. We have abuse from things that have happened to us. We're angry, we're stressed, we're lonely. Life is hard. So what these addictions offer us is an opportunity to feel better for a little bit, to not feel alone, to take care of that sense of sorrow and brokenness when we feel unloved. It's temporary, but we turn to addictions. So what happens is when we do these addictions time and time again, we literally reprogram our brains to desire them more and more till we cannot help ourselves. And destruction is the next step for us. If you've never experienced addiction in your own life and the power of it, I would say we all know what it's like to be thirsty, right? You're thirsty. You just need a drink of water. Well, addiction is like thirst, except your thirst turns into a thirst for something that will destroy you. And you have to have it because your brain has been reprogrammed for it. That's because of the power of sin in our lives. Addiction leads to destruction. But destruction's not where this story ends, right? There's hope. So look at verse 23. The Philistines decide to have a big party. They're going to celebrate their win over Samson. And they're going to bring out their trophy prisoner to mock him and celebrate and say that their God is the best God. And so Samson is brought out to the center of the temple, being mocked. And he does something he has yet to do throughout this entire story. Even when he was vexed to the point of death about this relationship that he had. In verse 28, he prays. Samson prays. And look at his prayer in verse 28. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. Let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. So he reaches the two central pillars and he pushes with all his might and cries out for God to take his life with the Philistines here. And verse 30, we see the result of his prayer and that he killed many more when he died than when he had lived. Now, Samson was a judge. He was a warrior. He went out fulfilling his true purpose after his addiction had led him to destruction, how he had squandered all of his potential for so much of his life. Now he had reached his full potential. But what changed? What made the difference in Samson's life? His prayer. What's interesting is that Samson's going to show up in Hebrews chapter 11, far off in the New Testament, nowhere near the time of the judges. Why would Samson show up in Hebrews 11? Samson shows up along uh, Gideon, uh, another great judge. Samson is named with uh, King David, the greatest king of all time. He's also named with Samuel, a great prophet. You see, Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith, as you can call it. It's where all the greatest of the greats show up in Hebrews chapter 11. But why Samson? What had Samson done? Why should Samson be named beside King David? Well, the story at the end of Hebrews chapter 11 is that all these people are to be commended for their faith. To be commended for their faith. Where do we see Samson's faith show up in this entire story? Where does his faith make such a difference that he should be in the hall of faith, one of the greats? Well, in his prayer, Samson prayed. He had faith. You see, yes, addiction leads to destruction, but faith in God leads to redemption, to restoration, to our true purpose. 
Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, I think really summarizes what we're to learn from people like Samson, from people that show up in the greatest of greats in the Hall of Faith in chapter 11. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this would be people like Samson, those that show up in the Hall of Faith, the greatest of the greats, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. The warning is, don't get stuck. Don't become an addict. Don't move towards self-destruction. Because why? Well, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our faith is in Jesus. Because he died on the cross. Because he rose again and he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. Why the right hand? Well, the right hand is the source of power. It's the source of strength. And so we put our faith in Jesus Christ because that is where our power comes from. That's where our faith is to be found. You see, when it comes to addiction, we are not strong enough. We're not powerful enough. You cannot. I cannot. We cannot overcome but it's faith in Jesus Christ. That's where our source of strength is. That's where our power is. And I think if Samson was here today, he wouldn't say, let's go to CrossFit, let's work out, we're gonna get you pumped up to defeat your addiction. He would say, what changed it for me is faith, it's prayer, it's believing. Addiction leads to destruction, but faith in Jesus Christ, faith in God leads to redemption. Perhaps that might feel a little trite, though. Just have faith. Maybe you're feeling it's nothing more than a spiritual pat on the back and get back in the game and just stay positive. You see, sometimes we've watered down faith so much in our own lives that we think faith is only just staying positive and wishing things get better, that we should stay positive, that our addictions will move on and just uh, keep wishing, that we should stay positive when we're hurt when we're lonely, when we're afraid, when we're sad, when we're angry, when we're stressed. That's not at all what faith is supposed to be. Faith is a trust and knowing that God can love us when we feel unloved. That God is there when we're broken and when we're hurting. You see, oftentimes what happens is that we have more faith in our addictions to heal us, to make us feel better than we have our faith in God. We believe that that next drink, that that next pill, that that next pill or whatever will make us feel better. We believe that playing some video games or having another drink is how to deal with life when we're stressed or when we're angry. And when we feel unloved, we think that that inappropriate relationship will make us feel better. You see, we've got it all mixed up. Our faith and our actions are towards our addiction. How often do we go to God first when we're hurt, when we're in pain? How often do we go to God's word when we need knowledge and understanding? How often do we sit in the presence of God when we're angry, when we feel unloved? Faith is knowing that God is there when you're alone. Faith is believing that God's word can speak into your life. Faith is going to prayer first, not last. Addiction leads to destruction, but faith in God leads to redemption. So what are we to learn from the story of Samson? Well, I think there's three helpful tools 
uh, besides having faith that are kind of practical steps for us to do. I would say for each of us here today, we should take some time to reflect on how we're spending our time. What do we do when we're angry, when we're stressed? It's been a tough day at work. What do you do when you feel alone and unloved? Are you turning to an addiction? Are we going to something to make us feel good first? Or are we going to God first, to his word? You see, Samson would say, go to God first. Have faith. Prayer is where we should go, not trusting in ourselves. So stop if you're stuck. Go to God first. Secondly, admit you're stuck. If you already know that you're stuck in addiction and you're just here hoping and wishing that destruction doesn't come, just admit you're stuck. Tell someone else. Tell a spouse. Tell a loved one. Tell your community group. Come up and talk to prayer partners. Uh, Sign up for the one-to-one care ministry here. Find a support group. You do not have to struggle alone. Samson was vexed to the point of death and he did not admit that he had a problem. He was stuck and destruction was his next course. And finally, if you know a friend or a family member that's stuck, say something. Say something. You have an opportunity to help that person realize that they're stuck. You have an opportunity to love them, to care for them. Oftentimes people are addicts because of things that have happened in their life. So be bold, yes, but be loving, be encouraging. You can be a source of strength for that person to help them and pray for them. Faith is the best tool that we have. There was another study that happened around the same time we were told that the rat in the cage does drugs again and again until death, the scary 80s commercial. And this study, it took the rats and it put them in a, in a community instead of a cage, a community with other rats and food and other things to do. And they found that the rats in the community were less likely to misuse the drugs, to go towards their destruction. But what the controversial hypothesis here is that only the rat alone in a cage with drugs is going to use the drugs until they're dead. The rat in a community will not. Is it possible that the best tool that we have is to be in community, to have a strong relationship with God, having faith, going to him first, to have strong relationships with others in the church, 2 a.m. friends like Mike would say, That being in community, we can find our source of strength through faith in God. Oftentimes, because of the brokenness, we isolate ourselves from God. I think we put ourselves in our own cage of anger, sorrow, pain, and loneliness. And so it's no wonder that we turn to these good things, to bad things, till it comes to destruction, because we're in our own cages, isolating ourselves from God. We also isolate ourselves from others thinking we're the only person that struggles or thinking that another relationship will only hurt us more. So we're in our own cages alone. But the good news is that Jesus has come to set us free. You don't have to struggle alone in a cage. You're to be freed from the cage. That God can love you when you feel unloved. That God's there when you're alone. That you don't need anything else that God loves you more, that he wants you to have life to the full, that he can help you overcome. Yes, addiction leads to destruction, but faith, faith in God leads to redemption. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the story of Samson. God, I pray that we would not be stuck in our cages, 
of addiction that would move toward destruction, but that we would have our faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.